Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Welcome to our next installment in our Make Disciples podcast series, where we are covering what a disciple is, who we are in Christ, what are the characteristics of a follower of our King. Today, we are discussing the last characteristic, disciples multiply. Now, to adequately cover it, to make sure that we have covered all the bases, we have Michael, our resident ephesiologist. I'm Andrew Johnson, associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas, and we are joined not by one, but by two Wagners. We have Rob and Michelle Wagner. They are joining us from Kansas City. Now, Rob and Michelle have dedicated themselves uh, to growing and planting churches in KC alone, the KC Underground Church Planting Network has successfully established over 100 micro churches. Wow. Rob and Michelle are both authors. They co-author books with each other, with anybody else they come across. So, <laughs> Wagners, thank you so much for being on the Ephesiology Podcast. We'll, we'll write for food. <laughs> <laughs> that means you have to have very little food. Right, because <laughs> yeah, it does. right, correct. It's, it's cents per cents per hour, basically, is what it works out to. <laughs> that is so yeah. funny. We are so glad to have you on uh, our podcast. Uh, for people who are not familiar with you or what you guys have been a part of, tell us a bit more about yourselves. Uh, some of the most important highlights that come to mind. We'll start with you, Michelle. Ladies, sure, first. sure. Um, well, Rob and I, we've been married. 30, almost 31 years. Um, and we have three daughters who are 25, 23, and 19, almost 20. Um, and we have been in full-time ministry our entire marriage. Um, mm. We actually met when I was 12 and he was 15, 14, 15, and uh, oh. we're part of a youth ministry that was all about multiplying disciples. And that's where we got our initial training our youth pastor was unusual in that um that was a huge passion of his and he taught us to always um have someone ahead of us and someone behind us so we would always have somebody that would instruct us in discipleship and then we would be instructing someone younger than us or slightly behind us in our spiritual journey um in discipleship so uh, we were pretty much brainwashed by our youth. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's amazing. Um, and we're all laughing and going, hey, maybe that's slightly true. But hey, yeah, we're, well, we're you know what? Yeah, what came immediately to my mind was that what we often hear, what you win them with is what you win them to. And you guys were one with multiplication and now Absolutely. you're multipliers. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I get that. Uh, yeah. Neat. Yeah, Dan from the very get-go you know he i remember him saying you know it's it's not going to be about events or about me entertaining you and it's going to be about me pouring my life into yours and then i'm here as your coach you guys are gonna help your friends discover jesus and and uh help them grow up in jesus and he always talked about when uh 
build, equip, multiply. Win, build, equip, multiply. Win, build, equip, multiply. <laughs> and they're, they're not in Burned competition into our brains. with each other. <laughs> yeah. They're not in competition with each other, are they? No. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we saw God do amazing things in, in we did. our youth ministry and uh, saw dozens of our friends come to know Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. Our youth ministry was larger than the church. Right, yeah. mm. it was a little bit of a white water for the church. Yeah. <laughs> so they had to put up with a lot. Um, yeah. But yeah, so from from there, I went to Moody Bible Institute. Rob went to Taylor University. Hey-o. Yeah, you Taylor grad. I'm I'm from Indiana, so I have lots of hey, Taylor friends. Lots of Taylor friends. They were your competitor too, weren't they? Yeah. They were. So so the joke goes, I don't think I've said this on the pod. So all the people who've heard this before, they can kind of grin. Uh, at least when I was graduating high school, uh, the smart people went to Wheaton. Yes. The pretty people went to Taylor. And the people qualify. who didn't get into either of those went to Trinity. Uh. So... Uh, I've always heard went to Moody. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, so I was at Trinity, but that's all right. Yeah, and that's the that's the other thing too is that I think I think Moody and uh, Trinity we kind of looked at each other and we were like, hey, look, a mirror. Um, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. So y'all y'all uh, went to kept in the Midwest. You, you did MBI and and you did Moody rather, and, and you did Taylor. Um, where has God taken you since college? I'll let Rob talk from here. Yeah, we uh, jumped into a uh, church plant in Granger, Indiana. So right there in the shadow of the Golden Dome. Mm-hmm. And uh, what won our hearts is the um, the lead planner and his wife, when they were inviting us to join the team, there was one point in time he said, we're, um, I'm not really looking for pastors. I'm looking for missionaries. And we were both like, right. oh, you had me at missionary. What are you, you know, what, what are you thinking about? And he's like, it's going to be more like a kingdom outpost. We need to think about it that way. And we're going to try to bring the good news to people who are very far from God. And can we, can we put a pin in that? What do you, what, when you heard it or even now, what would be that difference that you would describe something as this is a kingdom outpost? Well, I think there is, you know, you hear the word church and it's unavoidable uh, to ignore, you know, it's like a piece of luggage. It has a lot of things inside of it. And so the the relatively, you know, recent history for Michelle and I would have been, well, you know, it's about a, a building and it's about a weekend service and it's about mm-hmm. paid professionals. And, mm-hmm. and Dan had kind of ruined us, <laughs> you know, where it was like, mm-hmm. we want to be a part of a Jesus movement, you know, we want, so to hear another pastor who was starting a new expression of the church describe that kind of same essence of this was designed to actually be a grassroots movement of people on mission in every sector of society, um, helping people become like Jesus and multiply um, was so refreshing. And the other thing is he was a very gifted evangelist. So he had such a heart for the lost. You could just feel that heartbeat, like that nun should perish. And we that's what we wanted to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Not like, hey, we're gonna build another 
you know, fortress for already convinced mm -hmm. people to be reassured with certainty about being right about everything. <laughs> mm. That's great. And so from there, you guys continued in the whole ministry of multiplication. Tell us a little bit more about how you all developed, matured, progressed. Well, we, um, Rob was youth pastor, and I was uh, the unpaid volunteer <laughs> that worked full-time mm -hmm. with him. That worked full-time, yep. 100%. Um, for the first five years, we were at Granger, and we actually saw pretty much the same thing that happened in our own youth ministry happen in the youth ministry we were leading. And it was a beautiful thing mm. um, to see these young men and women um, become missionaries in their worlds and um, see their friends come to Christ. Uh, it was it was a beautiful thing. And wh why? why? What, what made the difference? Do you think why why did you see the same thing that you saw in your youth ministry happen in this ministry? A lot of it has to do with just God and his sovereignty and his will. I don't think <laughs> Rob and I were smart enough to do that. <laughs> Honestly, um I mean we had a general plan and um you know training kids in discipleship just like we were taught, but um honestly, really. I was 19 when we started there. So, you know, <laughs> made a lot of mistakes on the journey, but um, we're just grateful for what God did in us and through us there. Yeah. Neat. And, and we, we really did um, multiply what Dan taught us. Like we focused mm -hmm. on um, starting with a focus on mission um, where people live for our kids. It was mostly their campuses or, the teams, sports teams that they played on, and then intentional about building. So we uh, would help kids develop spiritual habits uh, so they could become like Jesus and be on mission and share their faith. We called it power links. Mm. Mm. Very strong. <laughs> yes. Spiritual disciplines, power yeah. links, same thing. And then, <laughs> and then just that simple fractal of like, the of jesus relational spheres of like the one the three the 12 the 72 we just repeated that so everybody would be in little groups where there was a lot uh higher levels of transparency and accountability in the three to five space and then we had these larger uh groups that we called eagles nests the eagle was our symbol and they were basically owning the lossless in a particular high school and then we had this larger group of 72 that we called the extreme team because it was the 90s. I was going to say, I was like, this sounds very 90s. It, it was. feel hard. Uh, there was 90s. no E. It was like extreme. Yes. <laughs> and that was basically the adult. Those were the disciple makers, really, like the adult and student leaders. And we, you know, purposely deconstructed like the the church caste system, like with all of our adult and student volunteers, we'd always say, you know, you're the youth pastors. You guys are the mm -hmm. youth pastors. And like, we're here to just train you, coach you, support you. And they designed and executed like everything. We were more mm -hmm. like facilitators and equippers and coaches. Um, so we just did what Nan taught us to do. We were really intentional about not just the message of Jesus, but the actual methods, like how did Jesus actually disciple? And and uh, and even when you do that imperfectly, like Michelle said, it's amazing. Like, watch what God does <laughs> when you walk in the way of Jesus and his patterns and habits of disciple making.
Wow. So what the- was next after you guys became world famous youth ministers? <laughs> <laughs> we one of the day have <laughs> I think uh one of the big things for us was um the the church started to do uh we didn't have a building the first 10 years so and we there's like 17 different rented facilities we used so that's fun it, yeah you had to be smart just to know where we were meeting that week <laughs> this sounds very familiar but go on <laughs> and it uh i think it really did help emphasize like the church is not a building the church is a movement it's decentralized that was fantastic hmm. then we built our building and we grew a thousand people in like three months yeah. and, and a lot of those folks too were it was the first time we had Christians who were showing up. Prior because, to that, uh, we, were finally, we were finally a real church. Right. And it kind of are, are you saying that in quotation marks? I am. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> and then the church kept growing like a rocket ship. It was like 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000. And on one hand, it really was a miracle in a cornfield. We were probably baptizing close to 500 people a year. I never, I was like, this almost feels like a spiritual awakening in our and it town. it was year after year after mm-hmm. year. It was very mm-hmm. consistent growth for probably 15 years. Wow. Wow. But there was also this other dark side that was growing after year after year after year where it felt more and more like it was becoming centralized because it was. There was a lot more programmatic initiatives, um, greater emphasis on the platform arts um and there was a kind of creepy celebrity dynamic that started to happen because rock star yeah uh because we granger is a town of like forty nine thousand people and we had like seven thousand people coming on a weekend so it was (laughs) everywhere we went yeah it was wild um and what happened at least to me personally is i felt like i um our attention shifted primarily like how to take our church to the city and take our church to the world to like intersect um the the pockets that are uh, being left behind under resourced um and so locally we got more and more involved in one particular neighborhood that was an at-risk neighborhood called monroe circle and then um I had a mentor, a guy named Ron Vandergren, who was director of church planning for the Bible League. He's like a Gandalf. And um, there's probably 30,000 plus churches kind of in his family tree because he finds mm. like Paul's and, and basically just mentors them and then disappears like Barnabas did. And so he got us connected with this group of um, seven network leaders in India and I didn't have the language at the time, but they all had like little networks of microchurches, three or four or five, six microchurches. And um, that changed things for us dramatically because what we had tasted in our youth ministry experience over the next 10 years in India, um, it was like the seven course feast. It was literally like walking around in the book of Acts and watching all these ordinary people multiplied disciples to multiple generations and multiple strands and thousands of new expressions of the church and 
it was in half the people that are meeting Jesus, it's through a flat out miracle. Um, and it kind of ruined us because <laughs> we, we would spend extended time there. Like, you know, we'd go and stay for a month with our kids, you know, cause we were mm. trying to create this collaborative training ecosystem between the leaders there and our church team. And we helped hundreds and hundreds of people go on very kind of strategic surgical trips to support what God was doing there. And it just became for Michelle and I, like, this is it. Yep. This is the thing that we've been looking for our whole life and been wanting to be a part of. And then that just holy discontent of like, hey, it's the same God everywhere. <laughs> like, why not here? And I began to realize how much of the kind of attractional form of church had, in some ways, I'd really lost my way personally. Like, I was like, man, I, I don't even really know my neighbors. I used to be the guy who lead my neighbors to Christ. And I'm so kind of busy running this really large church. I don't even know the names of my neighbors, two houses down. So it triggered a lot of repentance in me personally, like, uh, and then kind of jump forward. Like that eventually led to us starting the Kansas city underground here. Um, that's basically we're a mission agency organized to help ordinary people claim their birthright in Christ as missionary disciple makers. And to be able to become spiritual parents for multi-generational families um, mm -hmm. around the person of Jesus and the mission of Jesus. Um, and that all really started all the way back in our youth group days. And then we picked up this whole new group of mentors in India. Um, so that's kind of what gets us to Kansas City. <laughs> well, <Yeah>. dang. <laughs> okay, so a question that, I, and I want to ask this, but I want to get back to asking lots of more questions about KC Underground. When you, when y'all went to India and you were interacting with all of these network leaders who were over micro churches, um, when you refer to micro churches, this is the softball, when you refer to micro churches, are you, are you referring to them as uh, their micro just because they haven't grown up to be real churches yet? Um, they haven't hit the real size. Uh, what do you mean when you say micro churches? Well, they're, they're tiny, tiny buildings with tiny, <laughs> tiny people. And inside are tiny, tiny people. Okay. Anyway, so, uh, so since that, it's definitely not the case. Um, why, why the term micro church? What do you mean by that? What were they there? Why don't you start, huh? Well, um, the men and women that we met in Southern India um, were mostly responsible for probably anywhere from 10 to 40 people. Um, and once it got to 40, they knew that it was like too big. And then all along they'd be training the next leader. And then that leader would branch off and begin their own church and just kept going, going, going. Um, so you know, we we didn't have that language back then. No, no. Um, mm. No, the no, they didn't. They don't call them micro churches there. They're just a church. So it's mm. it's like a qualifier we need temporarily in North America. I, I don't like putting something at the front end of church. Period. Um, but it's like an accommodation that's necessary. I think for a season to say that, you know, for us, our working definition is, is a microchurch is an extended spiritual family. It's led by ordinary people 
seeking to live an everyday gospel community and owning the mission of Jesus and their network of relationships. So it's the, you know, it's the minimal ecclesiology of worship, community, and mission. So worship, people are moving from unbelief to belief in Jesus in every area of life. You don't need a guitar to do that. Mm -hmm. um, community is we're actually going to live into all the one another commands daily, weekly. Um, we are going to love and become a Trinitarian-like community of joy and selfless service and mutual submission. And, and then mission, we're going to make new disciples, and then we're going to make the kingdom tangible in our network of relationships. And then there is some kind of spiritual parenting, like an eldership of um, mothers and fathers that provide oversight, equipping, and then, you know, we baptize, we take communion, and that's all we need for it to be the church. Nothing else is required. Mm -hmm. No one has to be paid. We don't need a building. We don't have to, like Alan Hirsch says, uh, your uh, conversion was your commissioning, your baptism was your ordination. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so then how is this? I, I, I Sometimes I want to make sure I ask the questions that people might be thinking on the other end of this podcast as they listen. So why isn't what you just described a small group? What what uh, a lot of American Western churches, many of the things you just described, it's like, well, that just sounds like a small group at my church. Um, but you called it a church. So what's what's the difference that you guys have encountered as as you have participated in this longtime effort? Can, can well, I be cynical for a second? Yes, <laughs> please. I'm like, man, you are in a very, very unusual small group. <laughs> and and why do you find that unusual? It, you are cynical, but there's a reason for it. Why? Why is there that difference? Well, um, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is that um, each microchurch is not connected to like a mother church. Yeah, it's not a subset. We're a distributed network um so yes we are all connected and you know under eldership and that kind of thing but but we're not like a subset like rub said of a big church um you know we the other difference would be that um geographically i mean we have micro churches all over the city including in the jails and the prisons um homeless the homeless community uh has a microchurch so um just so so much variety our microchurches our neighborhood anything else rob mm -hmm. um, no i think you nailed it i think small groups were designed as an assimilation strategy to kind of quote unquote close the back door of organized churches mm -hmm. so they're really good at helping people find friends yeah. process a little content um but what they, they don't do is they don't typically multiply to the degree don't. that you all are talking about uh as far as owning that mission and spreading right. that news and helping god's family grow that's true yeah they're not really great at mission typically making disciples um they're hard to, they, community can be rough too, because typically people are coming from multiple relational networks from a city. So 
it's more like we kind of drive in and meet with each other one night a week versus like our our living in community yeah exactly like our microchurches emerged from disciple making in our neighborhood and so it really is this huge family that does life together like new new neighbors move in and in the first week they're like what is going on in this neighborhood like everybody <laughs> wow. I sign up for <laughs> yeah, like everybody knows each other and loves each other and you guys are like you yeah. know having meals together and, and they're usually very happy like we hit the jackpot yeah like we, we had two neighbors that they're now like we baptized one of them and I'm discipling one of the guys right now, but when they moved in, they're like, we felt like we got in a time machine and went back to the forties and fifties. <laughs> oh, wow. Everybody wow. knows each other. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what, yeah, Walk us through that because what, what we're hearing is that discipleship or multiplication is occurring in your neighborhood yes. with the people that you see every day. Walk us through what, what does that look like? How are you having those conversations well, first off, um, it didn't just happen. We began praying and prayer walking how many years ago? I mean, shortly after we moved in, which was nine years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, so it wasn't like overnight it happened. I mean, it was probably a good five years of praying and walking and just meeting people and building mm -hmm. trust in small ways. Um, what, what did that look like, practically speaking? Rob mows people's lawns and shovels the snow for them, which is very kind. Um, you know, and just, and just we have a house just down the street that's for sale, Rob. <laughs> and our, I'm kidding. No, but yeah, but I love that. Oh, just small acts of kindness, you know. Yeah, and yeah we use the uh, blessed rhythms of begin in prayer, listen and engage, mm -hmm. eat, serve, and story. So we just lived out those rhythms. Like we began a prayer. You focus on listening, like really understanding the story of your context, understanding the stories of your neighbors, being really curious, you know, using this phrase over and over again. Tell me more. Tell mm -hmm. me more about that. <laughs> and then it, opening up your table. Um, hospitality is like the embodiment of the gospel. And everybody has a table. And acquaintances become friends at the table, friends become family at the table. So we were really intentional about, hey, come over and watch the Chiefs. Hey, the Royals are in the playoffs. Hey, it's Halloween. Let's circle up, you know. Um, and then what happens is when people are in tension or transition, they have a sense you're a person they want to talk to. Mm. And that's what happened to us. Yeah. I think we'd been in the neighborhood about two years and one of our neighbors who we met walking dogs, she was like, she, we could tell she wasn't doing well. And we're like, you okay? And she's like, no. And I've actually been thinking about talking to you too about it for a couple of weeks. Would that be okay? And then a couple of weeks later, she at our kitchen table surrendered to God. Wow. And then the next night we were walking the dogs. You remember this, Michelle? She came running out of her house. She's like, Rob, Michelle, Rob, Michelle. And she's already crying. When I got up this morning, for the first time, I felt peace and wow. God was in my room. That's what she said. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Our first microchurch member. Yeah. And we're both crying. She's like, what is it? And we're like, he's the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Going to lead you and guide you. Wow. And then what typically happens is we started like, uh, we call them discovery groups. So it's like, let's go right to the Bible. 
and we're going to use the discovery Bible study method of like, what does this passage tell us about God, his nature, his character, his ways? What does it tell us about people in general? Mm -hmm. What is it saying to you and what are you going to do about it? So it's discovery based. It's obedience based. It's very simple. So it can multiply. People can learn how to lead a DBS. And that's part of the key of multiplication is like immediately inviting people. Um, like we, like when we have a discovery Bible study, we switch facilitation all the time because you're developing those skills in other people. You yes. Know? We're asking like, who could you share this with this week? Like multiplication comes out as a very simple practices that you embed into everything you do yeah. um, so that it becomes normal to just share it with someone else and practice it with somebody else. Wow. And the emphasis is on, is on the, the sharing and practices is one, right? Like it's not, these are two separate and far different things. It's sharing in practice and, and the, and the practicing isn't, and now memorize this really big treatise yeah, and make sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Complex yeah, most, of, most of the people in our neighborhood and in our market church are biblically illiterate or have just very, very basic uh, understanding of the Bible. So even though we've been meeting for four years ish um, as a larger microchurch, like two weeks ago, we we're like, okay, how do you read the Bible? You know, just starting over again, mm -hmm. just like um, for the newer people, um, where do you begin? What, mm -hmm. you know, do you start at the beginning, the middle, the end? You know, just really basic uh, yeah. Bible study skills and, and those kind of things. Yeah. Wow. Well, it, it, okay. So a couple of years ago, you met your neighbor. Yes. She came to Christ. That was it. Was that the launching place then for what happened in your neighborhood from there? Pretty much, she invited everybody else. <laughs> oh, she's <laughs> like, you know, Luke, Luke ten person of peace yeah which we wow. you would never pick this person as being that person but she uh, still is to this day yeah well, so god so grabbed her heart that she could not not tell somebody else about it correct and she's she's not a ministry person you know um she's not a pastor in the typical sense of the word. I mean, she is, yeah. but you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. she's, just a, she's just a disciple. She's exactly. a follower so, of Christ. A lot of times somebody will trust a person like her, as opposed to someone that's professional mm. ministry. Definitely. And she'd been, she's lived in the neighborhood almost longer than anyone. And she's very extroverted. And she's a person who likes to do things for other people. Like she yeah. loves to work on projects and, She's good with working with wood. And, hmm. and so she just had this credibility with a lot of other families, even though like the neighborhood wasn't tight and didn't really know each other. Mm -hmm. Everybody knew Lori, you know what I mean? Uh. <laughs> and and uh, I'm serious. I think every family except for one is a family that really you could connect to her. And that's what the Bible says. Look for the person of peace who welcomes you, receives you, and then follow, kind of ride their coattails. Like, go into their relational network and it's been amazing. Um, yeah. It's wow. It works. Yeah. That <laughs> and is that's a very, that's a story that's been repeated in literally like a hundred different contexts. It's almost, it's very similar in terms of the first principles. Um, people live the blessed rhythms. You know, they start with extraordinary prayer. 
they get an opportunity to start having spiritual conversations. Um, and we typically tell folks, it's like, man, once you've had the second spiritual conversation with someone, start a discovery group, start a discovery mm-hmm. Bible study, get them engaging directly with the word of God, learning how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, respond in obedience, ask them every week, who can you share this with? Um, and, um, and what happens is there's this process where it's like, it's a discovery group and we're, and there's these new believers and we're discipling them. But eventually these rhythms of worship, community, and mission begin to become like a heartbeat. And, and then there's a point where we have this little tool and we used it in our microchurch where at that point, there's probably five families, six families. You just go to Acts 2. We got this from a disciple-making movement in West Africa. And you just, you read the passage, you do the discovery Bible study, but you put a little circle up on the wall. And you say, all right, we're just going to brainstorm all the marks of the church in this passage. What are they? People come up usually with about 10 of them. And then you say, okay, you know, we've been on this journey together. It's been amazing. Kind of retell the story. And then like, how many of these are a part of our life together? And when we did that with our group, nine out of the 10 went into the circle. The only one was, well, we don't do like a temple courts thing. Like we're Mm. going (laughs) together with a bunch of other people. And literally one of the neighbors went, we're a church. Oh, and then Lori was surprised. Like, yeah. And then another neighbor was like, we are a church. And people started <laughs> crying. Mm. And then our uh, Brooklyn, who was probably seven at the time, she's like, I feel like we're supposed to sing to Jesus right now. <laughs> <She's> like, oh, <laughs> my gosh. Across the street. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, OK, who knows? Amazing grace. And only like three people raised their hands. They're like, who knows Jesus loves me? And I think we had four hands for that one somehow, which I don't really <laughs> understand. Really that. Yeah. <laughs> but we sang Jesus loves me together and everybody was crying. Like oh the my presence of God <laughs> wow. in the garage. Oh my goodness. It's the real thing, man. It's the, it's amazing. <laughs> that is, that is, I mean, that is amazing. It, it's crazy, isn't it? I have tears That's in my it. eyes just hearing no, you guys talk about this. It's uh, It's been hard difficult um as when you walk out your door there's your church there's your people you know Mm -hmm. Um, there's no hiding (laughs) for an introvert it it can be difficult just in that sense um but it's been the most rewarding and joyful era of ministry that we've ever had ever had i i think rob would say the same but definitely Mm -hmm. wow amazing and the, and the underground basically exists to help ordinary people walk what we call the missionary pathway. Mm-hmm. And it's five phases Jesus went through, the early church went through these five phases. It's extraordinary prayer and fasting, live as a missionary, plant the gospel, make disciples, church emerges, and then multiplication. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we have tools. It's also a toolbox. We have all of our tools organized by those five phases. And... Um, we have training huddles and uh, everybody's in a coaching circle. So they're with their peers. Um, and it's a culture of um, us basically saying, you can do this, we can help. Mm-hmm. You're called to this and helping people discover their personal calling. Like who's the unreached pocket of people? What's the particular place or area of passion? 
where you've already been sent. For most of us, it's like you're already been sent. You're already an insider somewhere. You already have credibility somewhere. You already have relationships somewhere. And um, so it's those kind of simple practices baked inside of a simple journey. Like if you would talk to missionaries in the Kent State Underground, they could tell you what context they're in, what phase they're in, you know what I'm saying, in the missionary journey. Um, so it's that that's that's the heart. That's kind of the beating heart of what we do. We just want to fill our city with the beauty, justice, and good news of Jesus by wow. seeing a missionary in every street and a microchurch in every network of relationships. Y'all have been such an encouragement to me today. Thank you so much for sharing all of these things. Uh, my, I feel my my heart is on fire. My brain is firing on on options. Or, or um, what you don't want is people listening to this and saying, "Wow, that was so encouraging." I need to move to KC. Um, w- if people were excited by what they heard, short of moving to Kansas City, uh, how can they follow up with you all or get some of these resources that you're talking about? Uh, the website, go to KansasCityUnderground.org, and uh, basically everything's free. Like if you'll see toolkit up there, you can go in there, sign up for the toolkit, and it doesn't have all of our tools there, but a lot of the kind of most basic fundamental tools in all five phases are there. Um, we also have training huddles that we run um, throughout the year that um, anyone can sign up for. Most of them are on Zoom. Um, some meet in person, but um, that's always an option too. Um, once we'll make sure that those are available uh, on the on the Make Disciples website. <laughs> well, very much uh, encouraged by this, Wagner's. Thank you so much for being with us, and thank you, listeners, for joining us today in this Make the Disciples podcast series. Now, if you were really excited to listen to the Wagners and this is your first podcast in this series, or if you're interested in finding out more uh, about ephesiology, uh, go online, ephesiology.com, or if you're listening to podcasts, just simply scroll back and and check out any of the uh, topics that we have covered that interest you. Lastly, please, please check out all the resources that we have for you at masterclasses.ephesiology.com. I know it will be a benefit to you. So for Michael, Rob, Michelle, and myself, thank you for doing theology and community with us today on the Ephesiology Podcast.